Yes, lads, what is going on? And welcome to Season 4, Episode 7 of The Running Irishman. In this episode, we are joined by Luke McCann. Um, before we jump into it, obviously, if you're watching this video, and probably even if you're listening to it, you can see that I got a brand new microphone for Christmas. Um, it's not fully, like, I have to tweak it and get it properly set up um, and get sound the way I like it um but at the moment I have it plugged in I have it plugged into the um audio the audio thing here and uh, yeah it's looking good and it's nearly ready to fully go for an episode of the podcast on topic of that um I'm going to get the mic ready and everything and do a solo episode of the podcast and um, hopefully for next Thursday um talking about you know new mic um where I am with the run and where I am with the injury and um you know a lot has been happening with the team um with the running team so I'm going to be getting into that as well so make sure to stay tuned make sure to subscribe if you have not already or follow the running Irish on the official Instagram link down in description and in the show notes so we have all that wrapped up and out of the way as i said at the beginning we are joined by luke mccann luke is probably one of the nicest guests i've had on the podcast and really really sound lad i must say um luke and i talk about you know his entire current running career to you know he wasn't one of these young prodigies even he said that he never made a school track all ireland or um so it just shows and now he's running for ireland in the european championships as we talked about in this episode and um, he ran for ireland in the european championships in the mixed relay team and um, where unfortunately they finished fourth, but he talks about that entire experience. He talks about running on the you know kind of pro pro series this year or last last track season. You know, and um, running for Ireland in the European track indoors, um, and running in the to- uh, continental tour gold um races and a lot lot more. So make sure to stay tuned. I'm really looking forward for everyone to give this episode a listen and I do hope you all enjoy so without further ado let's get into it yes lad what is going on my name is Amy O'Donoghue people call me Dr. Josh <laughs> my name is Lewis O'Loughlin my name is Is O'Donnell I'm Charlie O'Donovan I'm Abdul Joe I'm Scott Fagan I'm Mark Henry my name is Cormac Dalton I'm Paul Byrne I'm Mike Morgan I'm more than a runner the Irish Hammer my name is Brennan I'm Brian Bay it's Dash Bar. I am a triathlete. Craig Engels, Cheryl Nolan, Sean Dunham, John Rankin. We got 10th at the World Championships in 2019 in Doha. I'm doing great, just happy to be on the podcast. I'm a Man, I'm a man United fan. Let's get into this episode of the podcast. Alright everyone, so we're here with Luke McCann. Thanks very much Luke for taking the time to come on the podcast, really appreciate it. Um, if you kind of just want to take it away, I suppose, for anyone um, watching listening at home about who you are and what you're all about. Yeah, so thanks for having me on, Killian. Um So my name is Luke McCann. I'm a 1,500, sometimes 800-meter Irish athlete. Um, trying to make as many teams as possible at the moment. But, uh, yeah, just kind of make my way up there in the scene at the moment. 100%. And this year especially, um, you know, even leading up to this year with injuries and stuff like that, you haven't had it easy. But this year especially, you had quite a quite a breakthrough season. But for now, we'll kind of go go back to the roots, I suppose you could say, and just you know where it all began. You know when you started, why you started, and uh, yeah, all that kind of jazz. Yeah, so um, I was thirteen when I first started in DSD. Um, 
my sister was actually she she's two years younger than me jody she started when she was like 10 i'd say and then i was just down my mom was picking her up from training one day and the coach came over to the car window saw me i was like you can get out here next next <laughs> tuesday or something like that and so i started popping down for a few sessions and then you know how it is yourself like you kind of just get roped into the yeah to the league races and the dublins and the the Lancers and stuff like that um and then obviously there's all the the kind of club championships across i was mainly across country when i growing up um, I was always away during the track season, so my my season started and ended with cross country. So um, it was all about the Dublin's, the All Ireland's, getting the team as high up as possible, better than the year before. Um, yeah, and then kind of kept that up until I kind of had that same thing. Maybe started back onto the track. Maybe when I was fifteen, sixteen, was doing. 15s and 3Ks wasn't very good. Um, actually, one thing I never made a school's All Ireland on the track. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's something that's weird now looking back. Yeah. Being like a 3.36.15, like I, like I never, I was never very good as a junior. Like, and I was training. Like people think I took up running in 2017 and. But like I've been running since I was thirteen yeah. properly and training hard and just couldn't make it. I was just like we were talking beforehand. Like I was late with my growth spurt and everything and um it all just kinda of started clicking in twenty seventeen after leaving. Debbie, so that kinda of like is related to, to my next question in terms of, you know, as you meant all the stuff that you're doing now, you know, racing European indoors, European cross country, representing Ireland on uh, one of the biggest stages. And like from early on, was there ever, you know, that thing in your mind where you could get to the stage where you are at now? Um, well, it wasn't even really a, a thought when um, I was growing up and stuff. Like I wasn't even that big into international athletics. Like I'd watch the Olympics and stuff like that, but... I never knew what European cross country was or <laughs> yeah. the Europeans at all. I knew who Usain Bolt was and Mo Farah. That was probably about it. Um, yeah, like I said, like I didn't even know what an IMC was when I was like seventeen, eighteen. Like we, it was just so basic. We were just so like involved with the club and everything that it was just all about the Dublin's, the All Ireland's. That was kind of like the where we saw the pinnacle of it been and then it was only from kind of 2017 onwards when we started hearing about IMCs and European juniors and stuff like that um and like I've always kind of had the mentality that I could make these teams and stuff like that but I just always haven't done it um like in 2017 my PV was 409 and I remember I was out on the piss with my friends and stuff like that and I was joking at Christmas I was like, I'm going to make the European junior team this year. And the, the standard was 3.52. And I ended up running 3.50. Or the B standard was 3.52. I think the A standard might have been 3.49. But I just I just got 1B, so I didn't actually make it. But it was after running that 1B standard, you're kind of going like, Jason already actually made it there. Yeah. Like I already kind of proved a lot of people wrong. And we've kind of just been doing, having the same mentality. Through uh, throughout my career so far, 
so maybe it just took that, you know, maybe the natural talent maybe was always there in a sense and just took that extra little bit of training to let us show um, in a sense. And then obviously from an early enough age, your dad started um, taking over the coaching role as well for you. So what was that? Was that a, a period within your own career where, you know, the training started becoming more intense and you start seeing more improvements? Yeah, so I actually gave up running for the Leaving Cert. So um, I did the first, I did the cross country season in sixth year. And then I stopped running completely up until the Leaving. Um, just completely prioritizing getting into the college course that I wanted. And then, because I wasn't, like, I wasn't running competitively really at that stage. Like, I was still only running the Dublins and in Ireland and stuff. And um, again, I had never made an Irish school. Like, I didn't think I was very good at all. Um, so, uh, yeah, like, I'd gained a load of weight. Um, wasn't fit at all, obviously, when I was coming back. But I was just doing a couple of runs over the summer. And then kind of just started training for a bit of fun. Um, for the next cross-country season, wasn't very good. I think I came like, uh, I don't know what age it was, under 19s maybe. I must have come like 50 something or something like that in the All Ireland's. But like, I didn't even qualify. It was just the team qualified. Yeah. And then uh, my dad obviously saw, I nearly dropped out of that race. My dad was there and he was already coaching my sister Jody, who had been making Eurocross after Eurocross the years before. Yeah. And he was like, ah, sure, do you want to? jump in in a few sessions see see where I can take you so um I just kind of started from there and then he has no running background at all like he was a swimmer growing up and he actually just missed the Olympics himself in swimming uh, when he was a youngster and so it's actually been quite a good kind of journey we've been on because it's like we're both kind of learning everything together and it's not like he's an ex-professional athlete and he knows how everything goes and all the training regimes and stuff like we're still doing the research ourselves, still learning together, still making up training programs together and stuff. So it's it's quite a fun but unique kind of approach to elite running, I suppose. So from the sounds of it, as you mentioned, you were learning together and it, it for a while it obviously wasn't very intense, I presume. So I, I presume then it wasn't really affecting your day-to-day life if a session didn't go well or a race didn't go well. It was kind of just, I presume, just brushed it aside. Um, well, it was certainly before the leaving anyway, uh, but like when I moved to my dad, I just started training completely by myself. Obviously I was with my sister and stuff, but like, I'm obviously not training with her. I'll yeah. be doing like the session at the same time. And, um, but, like, yeah, like I think we kind of started taking it just like bit by bit. So like, I remember doing the indoor season that year and I ran uh, so my PB was 4.09 from maybe two years before that. So this was the National Juniors indoor. And I ran 4.18 and I came second last. So I was 18 at the time running this. And uh, it was just like, Jay, that was in around the time my dad was like, all right, like, let me take you on and kind of like see where we can. Because I was just unhappy. I was like, like no one's really that that happy going second last at the national juniors yeah um 
And uh, it was just kind of setting small goals. So it was like, all right, the next race was the, I was in first year college, like, and um, like, obviously I had no offers, NCAA offered, like that wasn't even a thing for me like that. Like that was something so above me at the time. Um, I was in UCD and there was the, um, the indoors for the, the intervarsity indoors. And I was putting the B race and I remember it was like, just as, get as close to your PB as possible. And I ran 4.13 there. And it was almost like a fist bump, kind of like, all right, there's a bit of improvement there now. And then the next step was to try and PB. I think I ran like, like 4.05 or something like that in the Leinster indoors. And then it was just kind of, from there, it was just chipping away at like, then it was like the the outdoor varsities. Then it was like my first IMC and then it's like, okay, we're kind of getting somewhere now. And it was like 3.54 down to 3.50. And the next race, then you're kind of getting into bigger races as, well, bigger. Like there was like the Ortigum, the IFAM in Belgium, the famous short track in Ortigum, um, where everyone seems to PB. Uh, yeah. Headed over there and that's where I did my 3.50. And like, yeah, that I could just started getting addicted and obsessed with just PVing all the time and like improvement and stuff. Like no matter how small it was, like I like I wasn't exactly an extraordinary at the time either. Um running three fifty, but you're still just the same same concept and now, like same mindset. Now it's just like like always looking to get better and better and better. Obviously the range of improvements obviously way higher when you're up at that time, but uh yeah, it's it's been a it's been a fun journey so far and specifically within training what do you think you know compared now the training which you're doing with your dad and then as it progress kind of in what way to progress as you got older and you start getting better you know mileage and intensity started to increase would that be correct well yeah obviously the mileage would obviously be ramping up a bit um not that i'm on major mileage now i'd probably range between 60 to 75 maybe in the winter months and then it can get as low as maybe 30 25 to 30 miles during racing season and stuff so um it's just like we've just learned to adapt the kind of sessions to me rather than following like a like a general regime that like most athletes might do yeah um we've kind of just like over the years we've kind of tinkered with a few bits found different sessions use different like athletes from the past and like use them as inspiration when they're coming up with training plans and even athletes now like being a bit and stuff they're getting something right in the 1500s so yeah. we're trying to trying to even learn from them a bit but uh yeah it's just kind of we found the kind of plan that works for me at the moment like i'm not really getting injured as much now because i think we found the right kind of balance with mileage and intensity and then and gym and stuff like that and then also the right kind of sessions to do at the right time of year um yeah like it's obviously gotten a lot more specific now than it was back in 2017 when my dad was coaching me because that was almost a guesswork game back then um now it would be a lot more kind of tailored towards running fast 1500s and fast 800s Definitely. And briefly there, you touched on, you know, heading over to America and picking up scholarships. And at the time where that was a possibility for you going into college, or it wasn't as much of a possibility for you heading into college, is it? 
is it something that you'd like to look into maybe in in the future? You know, you have people like Brian Fay who um recently head over to Washington after spending a good few years um in DCU. Is that something you'd like to look into in the future? Um, not for me, no. Um, I started off in UCD, um, doing engineering, and I just did my third year. After my third year. I was actually, um, I was given the Ad Astra scholarship and they've been so good for me in UCD. Like they're so good with like, kind of like arranging assignments and exams around like your training and they've let me like split my years and stuff. So I'm on like kind of half the workload that a normal student will be on. So I can kind of train like, almost like a professional athlete nearly because like, I just yeah. have so much time on my hands to recover and get my sessions in when I need to um, and I've also got like another because I've been splitting my years I have another year left in college when most guys I would have started college with graduated this year but, like I'm not in any rush to be yeah to be an adult at the moment but uh, <laughs> um, yeah I mean like the way I look at it is like I've been improving, improving, improving. Like why, why try fix something that's not broken at True. the moment? Like, yeah, like you might go over to like, obviously not that it wasn't, not that it was broken for Brian at all. Like he was an unbelievable athlete before he went over and he's obviously progressed even further again. But like, I feel like he's just someone that would always have progressed. Like he's, he's just an animal. Um, I, I can see myself doing well over there, but it just doesn't really interest me. Like I, I like the setup that I have here. I'm I'm getting to know a couple of British athletes and stuff and linking up with them on training camps and stuff. So um I'm more so trying to get into the professional side of things now rather than the I think I'm kinda of done with college now once yep. I'm done this this degree, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, look, if it's not broken, don't fix it, I suppose, is the mentality yeah, exactly, you can yeah. you can look at that way. Um, you know, this year in particular, as we briefly touched on previously, has been an amazing year. As you mentioned, nearly a, like a break, breakthrough season for you. But for 2020, um, it wasn't all smooth sailing. Um, you missed out pretty much on that entire year picking up an injury. Um, do you want to kind of just talk us through that in terms of what the injury was and how you tried to, you know, stay motivated and stay in the sport throughout the entire year? Yeah, so um, it was off the back of the 2019 season. Um, I just made the, my first ever international by the, like, like I'd say to any like kid coming up now, like that's just missing out on maybe Celtic teams or those Syab teams and stuff. Like I, I, I didn't even qualify to the All Ireland to qualify for those teams. So like, like it's never too late. Like you always, everyone develops at a different rate. But um, so I made my first ever Irish team for the under twenty three Europeans in the fifteen hundred and twenty nineteen, and it was just off the back of that season that I was like getting into good shape in winter and I had just come back from a training camp helping out the uh, Paralympian lads with Mike McKellip and stuff. I was asked to go out and help pay some of their sessions and stuff because they were getting ready for their world championships. Um, uh, and like I was getting in good nick and I think I was just picked for the mixed relay for Lisbon, European cross country. 
And the day later, I was walking down the stairs and I just felt a massive pop in my knee. Nothing to do with running. Um, yeah. Literally just walking down the stairs, nearly fell down the stairs and <laughs> did a little, little bit more damage. But I uh, um, hadn't a clue what it was. I was like, Jesus. Literally remember thinking, like, Jesus, better not be serious. Yeah. Um, and went to the physio, like, we were calling up the doctor the next day, being like, what should we do? It was getting into the physio as soon as possible in UCD. And um, we thought we knew what it was because I was getting pain in my lower quad. And they thought it was like a quad thing, but I was like still unsure because like I felt like a pop in yeah. my knee. And I was like, that doesn't really feel like a, a quad injury. Um, so you're at that for maybe like a month and early, like a couple of weeks and early trying to fix that. And I was trying to get back into running and I felt like there was something loose in my knee when I was running and it was like almost getting jammed. I had to keep stopping on my runs and I was like, hey, no, something's definitely not right. Yeah. So then they sent me in for an MRI and they realized I had a pieces of broken cartilage um, just floating around my knee. <laughs> so basically it had just snapped and they think it was from like maybe when I was like younger and I was playing a bit of football or something and I might've twisted my knee in a certain way. Um, and then it's, it kind of cracked down and over time it's just been the cracks getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it just fell off that certain time. Walking right. out. Thank God it didn't fall off during a track session or a race because I could have done serious damage then. But um, yeah, so they figured that out and then just had to try and get in for surgery Um as soon as possible then because it's like the only solution is to try and take it out um, and uh, the first surgeon we went to wasn't so great um, I remember coming out of the, the consultation with him a bit shook because he had told me that um, he was like you he was like you definitely will never run as fast as you have run again and you may never run period again and we were like, Jesus, like from something just walking down the stairs, feeling a pop to yeah. a couple of weeks later being told you might not run again. I was yeah. like, Jesus, I was shook coming out of them. They were like, OK, let's go to someone else, get a second opinion. <laughs> and uh, this guy was just like, you know, like, we're just going to go and take the cut pieces out and see, see what happens. Like, we're not going to we're not going to say anything scary like that. And so I went in, got them taken out, thought that was grand. It was just keyhole surgery. So um, I was in and out on the day and I was back recovering. And like, I was on the bike pretty pretty quick, maybe two weeks after. I was hammering the bike then, um, hammering the cross trainer because uh, I was able to do like no impact stuff. Um, and I was getting back running then. And then I got the same feeling of something loose in my knee and I still didn't think it was right and the physios thought it was in my head and stuff yeah and I was like no like there's something definitely wrong here then we got another MRI they found more pieces and um we think that they just kind of missed them or something when they went in the last time so they went in took those pieces out and I've been fine ever since but like the process just took months because like First of all, I didn't know what it was, and then it was getting the MRIs done and then getting the consultations and the two different surgeries, like, by the time I was getting back to my first session. So that was back in, like, November of 2019. My first session back, I don't know when it was, maybe April, May. 
and like that's when I was only starting back like I was one fit but like I was just so like I was itching to get back racing that like I, I feel like I might have rushed it a bit and um yeah I just I popped into one race in Belfast and I absolutely blew up like I I took it out in my head. I was going. I'm in PB shape. <laughs> I th- my I'm always I'm always in PB shape. In my head. <laughs> yeah. I am, but my body, my body had just had eight to nine months off and was not ready to run PB base. And I blew up running three fifty three, probably my slowest fifteen I'd run in two years. And it was like, all right, yeah, I'm not ready. So then we took, we just called it then. I think that was August something twenty twenty. Called it there. And it was just like, right, we're just going to get ready for 2021. And uh had a long, long enough winter. I've had uninterrupted training, really, from then until now, touch wood. Um, and, uh, yeah, I can't complain with how things have gone since then, to be honest. But, um, yeah, I was just happy to come away with a good, decent year this year after the year I had last year. Definitely. And during the course of the NG, you know, after you got the, the first surgery, and you went out running again and you still felt, obviously, as we know now, was the loose cartilage in your knee. You know, were you thinking like, Jesus, will I ever get back running? Like, is the surgery not working? If maybe what the first doctor said is that, is that true? Or were you kind of always like more on the optimistic side of things? Um, I think uh, the next couple of days after the first consultation with the first lad, I was definitely doubting everything i was a bit scared um as you would be yeah definitely Um, i was like this is like my obsession i just like like this is all i think about really running and i was being told i'm not not gonna be able to do it again i was going jesus this is pretty extreme for what i thought it was yeah um and what it's turned out to be thankfully um no but i think once i got back running we figured out when we met the next doctor um he was he seemed pretty optimistic so then like we were kind of getting good vibes off him so i was pretty optimistic when i was coming back first because we thought that everything was done fine but it was just like that that same like it's a weird feeling to describe like something floating around yeah definitely can't really can't really show it no but um like i just i just knew like even in my first run back nearly i knew something wasn't right and i was like like I know, like the people are saying, it was oh, it's the swelling, and it's not down, it's not not right yet. And I was like, no, like that's the same weird feeling again. But then that obviously took a couple of weeks to figure out again. And look, yeah, I'm just glad that it's I got through it fine, and um, I've had no problems with that knee since. But um, yeah, like. I was I was quite I was quite optimistic because like obviously in my head like I was saying I'm I feel like I'm always in PB shape I'm I'm always on the start line <laughs> raring to go like yeah. I'm never gonna back down from anything no matter what kind of shape anyone says I'm in or whatever shape I am in but uh, I'd always be kind of the optimistic kind of guy so um, I was never kind of down on myself or doubting that I couldn't get back to where I was. Definitely know those. It's one of the hardest things to do. Obviously, the pain in the knee and stuff. And one of the hardest things about an injury is the people you're telling about not understanding the pain that you're actually feeling. And you know they're coming up with these. Obviously, I'm going through an injury myself at the moment, and I I can relate on yeah, that yeah. side of things where it's 
people don't know the actual pain and you can tell yourself when something's not right and then people are coming up with these mad excuses whether it's parents coaches physios whatever um so yeah that can definitely be be quite frustrating but definitely thank god everything is sorted now and transitioning then into the entire year of 2021 in terms of running for you it ended up being as we mentioned uh, as well previously quite a breakthrough season and then coming back from the injury obviously you're taking it slow enough what changed when you start getting back into the hard training did anything change at all that has resulted into this such good season that you had this year um but I think all the time off that I had gave my dad a lot of time to do a lot of thinking yeah. and ways to improve and just like it wasn't even major like major things like my week wouldn't even be that different to most people's like it would kind of just consist of three sessions a week long run on a Sunday and one of the sessions being a threshold um but like it was just the smaller things like um I don't know I think we got a lot more like race specific this year like we'd be doing a lot more um kind of lactic work and like my body would be fairly like that's just what my body like my body likes lactic work um like a lot of people like the mileage and the the longer runs and the longer workouts but like my bread and butter is 300s at 800 pace like that yeah. that would be what my body responds best to and that's just that's just something like myself and my dad have kind of figured out over the years like we would have always like cause like starting off like doing kind of like trying to learn what the best way to train for 1500 is like obviously you're going to try and a lot of people will try and copy the Ingebrigtsons and they're doing their threshold and blah 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 and like like we kind of like we've like experimented with stuff like that but like like they're just a different type of athlete to me. Like my, when doing like my, um, like my VO2 max test and stuff like that on the treadmill and get my lactate testing done. Um, like I'm able to go above 25 minimal, um, on the treadmill, which the, the lad in there had never seen before. Whereas like most people would like max out at maybe seven or eight. I don't know how, like kind of, well like how well you know about lactase and stuff but like um yeah. like the lower the lactate you have the like more like um it would kind of like indicate you're more of a an endurance athlete whereas right. the higher like i i kind of have i feel like i kind of have the body physiologically of a 400 meter runner yeah um so like the that kind of like 800 training just really suits me down to the ground i feel like that's just what load of the indoor season and kind of right through up after that up until the outdoor season and um, I was just able to kind of deal with the lactic a lot more because I've seen a 1500 is I like that that last four to five hundred is just nearly all lactic if you're going at your pb pace and um, yeah like that's the only real the real difference would be the track sessions that we really adjusted on this year Definitely, yeah. Like, you know, from this year specifically in in terms of track, and then obviously there two weeks ago, um, you you had the the European Cross, but starting off with track then this year, um, honey, was this your first year in the Diamond League series? Uh, well, I was only in one. Well, I was in, 
well, I was in one Diamond League and I was in the B race in another Diamond League, but I wouldn't say I was I was in, in the, the Diamond yeah, League fair series. Enough, yeah. Like on I'd say I'd say more on the on the pro circuit as you could call it, maybe getting into the Continental Tour races and stuff, the gold, silver and bronze races. Um it's quite hard to get into the, the top races. You kinda have to get a bit of luck and a bit of begging goes a long <laughs> way. But um yeah, like I got I got really fortunate after my first race of the year was in Ostrava, um the outdoor season, sorry. Um or do you want me to talk about the indoor first? Uh, yeah, if you want, whichever um, whichever's handiest for you. That's pretty good. So we start then with the the European indoors, and before we jump on to the before we jump on to the outdoor outdoor, outdoor. season. Yes. Yeah, so obviously you got the the qualifying time for the European indoors, and you were you were mixing it up with with the with the big dogs. Obviously you're in the the in the same race with Jakob Ingebrigtsen, which Kind of obviously yeah. you're you're in the race you're in it just as much as he is you've the same shot as winning as anyone else in that race but at the same time being in the same race with someone like Jakob did that kind of give you the feeling that kind of you're there thereabouts in terms of the pro the pro circuit or the, the kind of the pro you know lifestyle or profession of running not in the slightest um. Like I, I just about qualified for the European indoors. I was um, traveling all over the place, uh, getting COVID tests left, right, and center, um, all throughout kind of January, February. Um, uh, don't know. I think I ran my quickest before that micro meet um, was three forty two. I think I was just underneath the standard, but I was the fourth man. Uh, Andrew Crossgren, Paul Robinson, and Brian Fay were ahead of me. Um, and I knew I had to go quicker than Brian in that micro meet, so I just ran uh, three forty there. But like, um, like I'm on the line of the European indoors, and like you can't, no matter how much you can hype yourself up and anything like that, like you're not gonna be on the start line and think you're equal to someone like Jakob, who's like a, I don't know, three, I don't know what he was at the time, maybe three twenty nine or something. And he's 11 seconds on you. Like, I wasn't anyway thinking. I was more just thinking, this is all about making the final for me here. Um, I think I went in ranked uh, 40-something or something like that. And there was quite a big, I think it was like 50-something athletes had entered. Um, I was ranked 40-something. And I knew I was just like, all right, if I can make the final here, I'm going to be completely out ranking myself, um, which was the goal. Um. And we kind of thought, like, looking at previous championships and stuff, like, even 342 was kind of getting you into the final. And so we thought, like, right, I've got Jakob and Neil Gurley, who's a 334, 335 guy. And they were both in my heat. So I, was, I knew they were going through. I think everyone knew they were going through. And so we were looking at a fastest loser spot. And... And it was up for grabs there as well. I thought, anyway, if I can just bop out kind of something similar to what I did in the micro meet, I like I train by myself. I know how to front run. I know how to kind of gauge my splits well enough. Um, so I wasn't afraid to go to the front at all. That was the plan. Um, and I came out. I remember we were in the car room. So I think Andrew was first. 
and uh, we had no screens at all in the car, so we have no idea what the other heat is yeah. beforehand. Um, and I remember I was walking, Paul, I was in the next heat, and Paul was in the heat after me. Um, so in my head, I'm going, all right, if I can just run like a 341, 342, I should be in the final here. I'm just going to try and run front run this solo up by myself. Andrew comes, or Paul went to the bathroom and comes running back as I'm walking out. And he goes, uh, oh no, so there was four heats. Andrew's in the second one. I'm in the third, Paul's in the fourth. So we didn't know what the first one was at all. And I think that was a 342. And so uh, Paul's running back from the bathroom as I'm walking out. And he goes, first heat, 342, whatever. And uh, so I'm going in my head, great, all right, like that's, okay, I just need to beat 342. That's the, that's the fastest he's at the moment. And I walk out onto the track and I'm, just after seeing on the big screen, Andrew Coskrin's got the fastest he's spot of three, <laughs> or he's got the first one of 339. Yeah. And I was like, oh, jeez, here we go. <laughs> uh, so I'm going like, right, like just, like, I'm just on the line. I'm going, fuck it. Like, I'm just going to run 339 here today, lads. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, I was just in my head. I'm just going like, this is it. And I had the, I feel like I had the balls to just go out and give it and, head off at 339 pace and see what happens but uh just about didn't work out and <laughs> Jakob kind of took control of the race halfway through and I wasn't able to survive but um it was such a good experience like uh it kind of just kind of gave you that bit of belief that like I think I came away from that champs ranked 15th in the end and I think like 11 made it into the final um, but like I was ranked 40 something going in so I was coming away from that going like I was disappointed that I didn't make the final but then when you take a bigger step back kind of going Jay's like I completely out qualified or completely um, outran my ranking going in so I can't be that disappointed but uh, um, it definitely gave me the confidence to go into other races kind of up against lads that might be quicker than me on paper but going like my balls are bigger than you, fella. So that's at least that's at least two yeah. or three seconds I've got there. <laughs> um, yeah, I took that into the outdoor season. Um, and my first race was, yeah, what I was saying before, I got quite lucky with my first race of the outdoor season. That was Ostrava. Um, we just got lucky to get in. That's a Continental Tour gold. I think it's like the one kind of step down from a Diamond League. So we were buzzing. This is the biggest race I'd ever been in. And yeah. we were so lucky to kind of get in. But like, obviously, these kind of opportunities don't come around very often. So uh, we knew that we kind of had to take take the opportunity. Like like this wasn't a, this wasn't a race that you could run badly in um, or else you just won't get invited to these again. Um but, like, again, you're on the start line. You've got, like, Lewandowski, Gomez, Rosmies. Like, all I could name the whole the whole uh, start list. Like, it was, like, I know who all these lads are. They have no clue who I am. <laughs> uh, I just felt like a, an outsider and early. But then on the line, it's, like, it's almost as if, like, a switch flips and you're just, like, right, like, I've got a job here to do. So, um yeah, got out and ran 3.37, three-second PB. And that was exactly what we needed to get the ball rolling for that outdoor season. Um, opened up a few doors, getting into a few other races and kind of like 
getting into different meets, meeting new people, um, experiencing that kind of pro circuit. Um, yeah, like it, it's just been unreal this whole year. Like the the learning experiences that we've we've come away from this year is been unreal definitely kind of in terms of you know being out for the majority of the 2020 year not even just the seasons um like do you feel it was kind of obviously getting into some probably the biggest races in your life you think that injury you picked up in 2020 you know affected you in the sense that uh with you know having races like european indoor championships and coming on to the to the the circuit in a sense do you think that affected you at all or do you think by the time them races came around it really had nothing to do with it um it definitely played a part early on in the indoor season i think just because i was so rusty race rusty um like i guess remember like like you probably know as well like 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 there's no call rooms or anything like that yeah. in dublin's or all ireland's or anything so like I'm I'm experiencing my second ever call room. Yeah. Um and then like yeah, it's just like that kind of like pre race nerves. Like it's very hard to kind of get used to having not really experienced that for over a year. Like as much as like you might have that kind of self belief, like nerves are something else if you're not able to control them and use them in the right way. Um like for like kind of like positive energy and adrenaline. Um they can really kind of screw you if you if you let it get you too much. But like, as the races kind of got on, you kind of didn't really think about the past, and it's just all about your last race. I think anyway, that's how I was looking at it. Like, you're in the shape of whatever race you ran last, nearly. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, once I got the ball rolling, I was grand. But I was definitely very nervous going into my first couple of uh, indoor races. Definitely, and then obviously coming to the like end the track season this year um obviously we had it was a long long season with indoor europeans and then the olympics did you feel this year you were racing a lot more than you were previous years yeah um obviously as well the fact that i guess the first year that i'd really kind of race in europe like i would have done a couple of bmc's and stuff in 2019 and uh, in 2018 i did like a lot of Irish go over to Belgium and do those IFAM meets and stuff. That would have been my only real experience of international races. But like even still, you probably only be doing like six or seven races in total, maybe throughout the season if you don't make any internationals. Um, yeah. Uh, but like this year, I think I ran um, something like 22 races or something in the year, track races, um, including indoors which is like obviously a massive step up and like it's massive as well and kind of learning how much your body can take in one go, like learning how how many days you can give your body before you can race again early. Um, and like after Ostrava, I was down because we were just chasing qualification points for the Olympics. And uh, so like we were trying to get into any race possible, like any kind of concept, because I'd never done a continental tour meet at all. Yeah. And we were just trying to get into any, whether they were gold, silver, bronze, we were just trying to get into anything. And I raced again two days after Ostrava. Absolutely stupid stuff. I was absolutely bollocks. Like, and it was in a different country as well. So you're <laughs> yeah. having to, I was racing Ostrava, go from Ostrava to Germany the next day and then race the next day. I'm just absolutely bollocks. Yeah. Um, trying to go out and do the same again so like we knew like all right okay like i need to give myself a good few days now or not not a good few days but like at least 
three or four days before I could probably race again, like to my fullest. That's why you see people at like championships and stuff. Like people don't really realize how good, how good of a an Olympics that was for like say Andrew Coskin or something like to be able to drop at three thirty five after running. I don't know what he ran his heat, but like two days after he ran his heat, like that's that's really really good. Yeah. Um, it's not just like running a standalone three thirty five. Like being able to put 1500s back to back because 1500s are quite taxing on the body, especially when you're fighting for your life and heats and stuff like that. Um, yeah, like I, I fully respect that. Um, but uh, no, it was, it was cool, cool experience kind of getting like you're almost like as soon as one race is done, you're on the road again to the next one, and it's it's cool because you can kind of travel, you meet a certain like you meet athletes along the way and stuff, and they're all like a lot of athletes are going to the same next meet as you and stuff like that. So you can travel together with them and get to know them. And yeah, it's, it's a cool way of getting to, to obviously get to know other pro athletes or not other, I'm not a pro athlete though, but like getting to know yeah. pro athletes and yeah. their kind of lifestyle and stuff. And it's, it's like, well, like that's, that's what I want to do and stuff like that. And I want to be like them and getting to know them, like being their friend and stuff like that. It's like, yeah. if they might've been people that you'd look up to on Instagram and stuff like that. And, no, like you can call them friends and True. stuff. It's pretty cool. Um, all all of that's just to happen in one summer. Um, yeah, it was it was deadly. Hundred percent. And like as you mentioned, you raced a lot this year compared to any other track season you've had in your entire running career. And then you have other people, just say Jakob Ingebrigtsen, for example, who take nothing away from his one of the if not one, the best run, athlete in the world at the moment, who's you know. Maybe if he races only a few races during the, the track season, he's going to have that qualification spot in the Olympics. But if you think about all the racing you were doing, chasing qualification points, by the time the Olympics came around, in terms of tapering off and everything like that, do you think you would have been in the shape, best shape possible? Or do you think you would have still been tired from the whole series prior to it? To be honest, I don't think I would have given a shit as I would have been there. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> the, fair. The, 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 yeah. Whole, the whole goal is to try and make it there. And no, but like in all seriousness, like like these, there's there's kind of like a there's a big gap at the moment between the athletes chasing standards and the athletes that have the standard from like the year before almost, and that are kind of like almost guaranteed selection, like the Jakobs and the the Jake Whitemans and stuff like that. Um, like, they obviously have it way easier, but, like, they deserve it. Like, yeah. they're the guys that are running 330, 329. Um, like, it's we kind of just have to get to that level before we can kind of, like, just start, like, kind of, like, looking at our seasons in a more tactical kind of way That's of great. going, like, oh, no, I'll pick the race on hit this date, this date, and this date. This will be good to kind of peak for whatever at the moment, kind of most athletes in and around, um, obviously I, I can't really speak because I didn't qualify, but maybe say around Andrew Crossgren's level um, would kind of just be trying to qualify as soon as possible. So they just try and run the standard maybe in May, early June, just so that they can then they can plan their races and peak at the right times and maybe just even not race and just train and prepare for it or something like that. But um yeah, it's obviously definitely way harder for people that are all the way up to the deadline, racing, 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 racing. Like Mark English, I think, qualified on the last day or yeah. something like that. He's going to be bollocks for the Olympics because yeah. he's just been going, going non-stop, non-stop, non-stop. But then all the lads who are going to be racing in Tokyo in a month's time, 
they all had the standard a month ago, so they're all chilling and yeah. stress free or whatever. So, um, I guess you can say it's like it's unfair, but like it's not really like they they're the ones that ra- went out there and did the job when exactly. they needed to. So, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I suppose it's just it's just the way it is. I suppose like people like you, obviously, having to you know at the same time taking nothing away from them athletes who are running these insane quick times it'd be stupid then for them having to fight first spots in the olympics and but then as well it is tougher on on people like you know most of the irish athletes really like yourself who are then trying to rush for qualification points coming up to the olympics so it is um very much the mixed bag but you know i know it's a few years now but are your sights set on paris 2024 Oh gosh, yeah. That's that. That's the only that's the only goal I have in my head at the moment. Um, it's Olympics or nothing, really. True. Uh, even all even all the British athletes I talk to and stuff. It's like I know there's the World Championships and everything, but like realistically, everything revolves around the Olympics. Like it's just the biggest kind of sporting event, especially for it's the biggest event in athletics that you can be at and kind of participate in. So. It'd be obviously there's no it's not a goal for next year, but like it would always be in the back of your head that like how far off the Olympic standard am I? Hundred yeah, <laughs> percent. Like even though you might be chasing a world standard, you're still going like is that is that the Olympic, is that an Olympic yeah. standard? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, like yeah, like yeah, Olympics is the big 100%. big one. Yeah. yeah, it's it's always there in in the back of the mind, and then when you kind of it's there in the back of the mind in the sense that you want to set yourself up the best way possible by the time the Olympic year comes around, so you don't have to go chasing them qualification points as much as you did just say this year. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like yeah, like twenty twenty four is obviously a big year, but I think like people don't realize twenty twenty three is also a big year in prep for twenty twenty four. Like um, like if you run the standard in twenty twenty three, you can chill for twenty twenty four and pick the races like you want, or maybe you might finish your season early in twenty twenty three to try to prepare yourself to get the standard in twenty twenty four early and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's not just kind of like rock up on the day and see what happens. There's a lot of prep that goes into, like not just the running but like also the logistics of it and stuff. Um. And the training plans and stuff like that are all kind of altered as to what the long-term goals are, not just made each week, each week, that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, um, to make these kind of, like, championships and stuff, it's very, very hard. So, uh, yeah, you need to be on the ball um, when it comes to planning and stuff like that. Definitely, understand. So, years prior to the Olympics is all about setting yourself up for the eventual time that the Olympic year does come around and quickly we're going to jump off the track onto the cross country course just for a moment because yeah. um you were you did get the opportunity to represent Ireland in the mixed relay in Abbottstown in the European cross country championships unfortunately we just missed out on a medal but don't just talk us through the experience because obviously I was talking to Brian yesterday and I was talking to Abdel Lajel and Scott Fagan after the race and they've all said the same that the atmosphere um, was just insane I'd love to get your point of view on it as well how was the entire experience for you? Oh man like I was saying to people afterwards like it's I think it's the best feeling I've ever had in athletics anyway if not outside of athletics as well like 
um, it might have been a bit different for me than to them as well because I was like the only Irish guy on the whole course during my leg yeah. whereas like obviously in the other races there's like six of them so like it just felt like everybody was just roaring like me on like yeah. the whole way like it was so hard not to get carried away that first kind of 150 200 meters like because <laughs> obviously like I like we we were so hyped beforehand the four of us like we were in the car room we were huddling up together and uh we were just trying to hype each other up and like we were standing up and like shouting at each other and uh like pushing each other around hyping each other up and the, all the other teams sitting down just looking up at us going like oh, what are these weirdos <laughs> doing we were just screaming like come on come on or whatever and like slapping each other on the back and stuff and then uh oh we were just like just like this is our backyard like this like we're not gonna get pushed around here and stuff like that and we were just we were just so like riled up ready to get going like because like i was so nervous before like that was probably one of the most nerve-wracking races i've ever been nerve-wracking times i've ever been before a race um and even kira mcgean said the same she's she said that she thought that that was probably the most nerve-wracking she's ever been before a race she's been in a world final and just because it's like if you run bad it's like almost on the team rather than on you. Like, I feel like if you're an in, in the individual, it's like if you're on bad, it's just you that you have, that you disappoint. Yeah. Whereas like, if you're on bad, you're almost letting the others down. So like, I was just so worried. I was like, rather than thinking like, like of doing well, I was just thinking like, don't fuck this <laughs> up. Like, or else everybody's, and it's not even just the four years, the whole crowd is out. Yeah. It's like, if I slip here, if I fall there or something, like oh like i'm gonna be everyone's gonna like see that. it like and i was just like yeah, yeah, yeah. So i was just going like like a couple of those corners and stuff and i was taking i was obviously kind of like committing to all the corners but like i was still worried like like i saw a couple of lads slipping in the previous races and stuff and but like i knew kira was gonna get out hard Um, i knew she'd be up near the front and that was all because like we were kind of thinking like andrew is one of the best in europe Um, the plan was just to get the baton to him like in contention because like he can on his day like he's so hard to beat um and like i knew kira would get like in contention i didn't think she'd make give me a lead she set set up quite well to be fair to her yeah i'd say she gave me like a three second lead or something and i was breaking it man (laughs) you have no idea like i see because i'm not looking at the screen at all like we're getting lined up and stuff and uh, she's coming around the corner. So I'm not looking at the screen. I don't know like what story is, yeah. but like where she is in the race at all. I'm just trying to get my own zone. I'm trying to like, like not like everyone in the crowd, like at the line is like cheering me on. I'm trying to like, block them out and just be like, right, Luke, like, come on, like stick to like the game plan or whatever. Just get this like in contention. Like you're not going to let anyone drop you. And I see Kira coming around and she's like got a bit of a lead. And I was like, oh God, okay. And then she's like opening it and opening it and opening it. And I was like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. Like, this is like, I'm just going to be haunted now. Like, yeah. the whole, like, I was like, this is not what I wanted. <laughs> like, I wanted to be the guy hunting. Like, because then you've got people to chase. So when I got the baton, I just pegged, like, everyone's screaming at you. So I just absolutely legged it. And I'm going around that first corner and you're coming onto kind of like the starting straight. Yeah. And like, the whole, my whole left side, and right side as well but my whole left side was just like packed with like fucking hundreds and 
people like and like I just couldn't slow down like I yeah. was just like so much adrenaline so loud like I couldn't make out anything I just was absolutely ripping it and then I got to the very end of the last turn and a guy called Enda Fitzpatrick uh, he's well known in Irish legs I just heard his name or heard him shout he was just like relax and I was just like, okay yeah no I need to yeah. like, chill here I need to like, get back into my own game plan here because like I was just out like a bullet like I was just like so hyped up ready to go that like I just wasn't really concentrating and um, so then at that point I was like okay I need to chill here it was so hard to gauge the pace or anything like because you've no idea because like I knew there was a French lad um who's a 331 guy behind me and um like I didn't know like is he are they right on me are they five minutes behind me are they 10 but then obviously you don't want to look back because that kind of gives them an indication as to like okay like you're struggling yep. um so I kind of um I I'd, I'd met I knew where like halfway was like you know the kind of like wall bit yep. and halfway up that was halfway through the lap so I kind of like had that mark in my head just like get to there and then you start working from there um so once I kind of pass that, you're like kind of mentally going, okay, halfway here now. Um, and it's so quiet there. Like as soon as you go into Yeah, there that wasn't many people bit, back there that day. Yeah. yeah, like it's so quiet. So like you can hear, like uh, you can hear like your own breath and everything. Like, and it's just like from going from so loud, so quiet, you almost kind of lose that hype almost. Yeah. You're just kind of like in your own zone. And uh, that sharp hill then just took so much out of my legs because like I'd still be in base training at the moment um obviously I'm like fit enough but uh um no one's in kind of like race track ready like no one's in 1500 meter shape at the moment so like uh that kind of just took a bit of a sting um and like uh I could feel the lactic kind of creeping in a bit because I think once I came back out down that hill that's a k I knew that was the case so it's 500 to go um, but I knew a lot of people would be kicking from there because you're almost like the crowd again and you can almost see the finish line across yeah. the the field or whatever. But I knew just like, okay, you need to chill out here and just make sure you don't kick too early or whatever. Uh, but again, like that was so loud again. Like I was hurting pretty bad and I think they just kind of lifted me home. And Jay's man, I was swimming that last 150. <laughs> I'd say so. I was coming onto that last 100 or whatever just because like, I know. I think I went off a little bit too quick, but it's just so hard when you're oh, out there by yourself. The like you've nothing to chase. Yeah. You've nothing to gauge your pace. I've no like nothing to like kind of latch onto and dig in for. It's like I came onto that straight, and I knew I still had a little bit of a gap, but like I knew they had to have been closing on me because I felt like I was jogging <laughs> up that home straight. I was just like looking at the ground, pulling so many different kind of facials. Like I was like, I don't even care how ugly I look right now. <laughs> I am just like, like I was just gritting my teeth and everything, and I just tried to get that band over to Schieffer as quick as I couldn't wait to get done with the leg almost yeah. at that point. And then uh, I remember uh, after my leg, I was like, I had my hands on my knees, and all these lads coming in behind me, and they're all like falling to the ground. <laughs> so like everyone's absolutely gone. And I look back up, and the whole crowd, like they were going mental, 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 like around me. When I pass over to Schieffer and they're going mental for Schieffer then. But, like, no one's, like, leaving because, like, I think uh, it's quite hard to get, like, a spot oh, up on yeah. the rail. So they all, like, to, like hold their spots so they weren't, like, leaving to go, like, um, to a different spot. 
it's like there's still like loads of people down there all like oh well done Luke or whatever but like the crowd like died down completely I remember like uh I like, lifted my head back up and I was just like come on <laughs> to the whole crowd yeah. and then everyone just r- erupted again into a massive deadly. roar and I think that was one of the like best moments Close, ever like yeah. I was just like that was deadly um and I came out like I like walked off the course and Andrew came running over to me and gave me a big hug and he was so hyped and I was like we were, I was trying to hype him up again like we I genuinely thought like we thought we were gonna win yeah like, it was like unbelievable scenes and yeah it was just absolute heartbreak when like I, I even saw when Andrew was coming around that last corner like I was there with Kira and Schieffer and Matt Lockett and our team leader Mark Kirk and um we're watching on the big screen and we're just going like like we've got a medal like yeah like andrew like no way he he loses it but like he led the whole wreck again as well his whole leg he kind of like he was kind of in no man's land because he was like he felt like he was better than the bell he wanted to take it on and try and catch the gb lad then he kind of only realized halfway through that he probably wasn't going to catch him yeah and then he's trying to like he's the Belgian guy and the French guy are just sitting on him the whole leg so like they were obviously going to be way fresher coming onto the straight because Andrew did the whole work but like oh man it was just, we were always gutted at the end like it was just something uh, like we were just in shock like we were just like how did we not meddle there just oh, felt yeah. like we were robbed or something but like, it sure, did. like some, some, someone has to come forth at the end of the day like we're not going to like, it was just such a good experience besides that anyway. But, like, um, just the, the medal would have been a cherry on top. But, like, 100%. nothing you can do, really. Yeah, no, it was just Chief that got unlucky with her leg. And then, as you mentioned, Andrew was just kind of left in no man's land trying to catch up to the to the front tray and kind of trying to reserve energy on that course. Even if you're going at a steady pace, them hills really do take it oh, out. Oh, man, yeah. like, they, they're so... They're so um, so much tougher than they look like but I know like people might think it's not that hilly of a course and it's stuff, horrible like, when you're going at that speed and you kind of just hit the hill kind of like at that speed and it like really takes takes yeah. the speed out of you completely but like even for like Schieffer's leg like like I know I saw online and stuff people like kind of blaming her and stuff like that but like like Alex Bell just ran unbelievable and she kind yeah. of just took the kind of made it look worse than it was like like she I think the second fastest girl on that leg was 10 seconds behind Alex Bell and like again she was in the same position as me she was like out on her own like and yeah it's just so hard like I guarantee you like if she had gotten it in second or third she would have ran like no one could have had anything to say against her like she was the best option that we had at the time and and I think she like she did all she could on the day, like especially the position she was in. Like I didn't exactly give her a massive lead, um, and then like obviously Alex Bell was just unbelievable yeah. on the day. Like like it's also very hard when you've got the pressure of everyone, and then also you've got an Olympic finalist closing you down. It's uh, pretty daunting. Yeah. So no, just like like what you were saying, it's in any real race, it's inevitable that when you get the baton compared to a normal 1,500-meter race or a normal cross-country race, you're going to get out faster and then you get the baton where most of the Irish crowd is, so that as well is going to push you on. So, again, you're going to go faster than maybe you would like to. Um, but, yeah, exactly. You know, that's just, that's just how it was on the day. And, uh, look, I'm sure next time we'll... 
we'll come back stronger and we'll we'll definitely pick up a medal next time around. Maybe we'll see you on the relay. <laughs> Fingers uh... crossed. We'll we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> we'll have to shake this energy first, and then you don't know where where we'll take me. Yeah. So what's what's the story then with yourself? Then are you looking at any colleges? Or uh, are you are you staying in Ireland? Oh, I'm looking to do media in DCU next year. So oh, that, that's the plan. Um, in terms like of going abroad, like if I could go over to America after college, um, because I've been speaking to a few, at least soon that whether it's for running or whether it's for media stuff, um, either or would be great. But I definitely would love to head over at some point. But for now, it's stick with, getting over the injury, sticking with the with the club, Clonliffe Harriers, and getting into DCU after after leaving. So, so that's the plan. So we'll uh, we'll have to see how, how things go then after that. Yeah, DCU, DCU are, are really good. Yeah, like they've such a like big, it's almost like the hub for athletics in Ireland, yeah. early like inter-varsity athletics. Like they've such a big squad and the crack over there looks class and definitely. um definitely for for media as well you definitely get a lot of content over there 100 percent, yeah um, so and obviously the athletes that are going to be around in class as well so you're just gonna you're only gonna get better over there so and then obviously hopefully then you can kind of progress and do the kind of same kind of route that brian fade did and maybe Head get over a, after yeah for the masters and stuff like yeah. that yeah definitely so that that's that's the dream or that's the the plan at the moment so you know things are in the world at, at, at the moment you know we could just oh, all yeah. it could all just yeah. go sideways so you have to just take each day as it comes you know what i mean oh man it's it's mad how the covid situation is affected travel like even with like indoor races and stuff that we're looking at for next year it's um like it's so uncertain about what's going ahead what's not and yeah yeah like um, especially with college, I'd say as well. It's just, I'd say it's an even more of a nightmare for you. Yeah, like we don't know about predicted grades. The schools are closing. If we're uh, sitting the full even, sir, it's like last year as well with the predicted grades. It was last minute. People were finding out. So I presume it could be the same kind of situation this year. And then my actually the media course in DCU went from like three seven five to three fifty this year when all the points are going up. So. I presume it's only gonna come down then again, um. If if we're not getting predicted grades, so like, people were getting, I know a lad that got six hundred and twenty five points, uh, in my skill, and he didn't get his first course because of how many people got six hundred and twenty five points this year. Yeah, I read, um, I read a couple couple stories about that. Absolute joke. Oh, like it's, it's disgrace. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, you just kind of have to try and get as many points as you can, like. And then obviously just put your first choices down exactly, on the CAO. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's leave, leaving was uh, that's why I took I stopped running for leaving. Like I, it's such a tough year for any kind of student, never mind a student athlete. Yeah, trying to balance that kind of training lifestyle and also studying and stuff. It's so hard. So uh, it is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not envious of you at the moment. Anyway. <laughs> no, I wouldn't be either. <laughs> <laughs> I did my time. <laughs> exactly. I did the time. Exactly. No, that's a great way to put it. But look, all we can do is, as I said, take each day and fingers crossed it. It works mm. out at the end. But um, look, I think Luke, that's gonna do for this episode. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you. I really did enjoy it, and I do appreciate yeah, really you well, yeah. taking the time coming on the podcast. Thanks very much, Ken. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, yeah. And you're doing a really good job with 
all the different kind of personalities and athletes you're getting on. So um excited to see where we can go from here. Thanks, man. No, hundred Really, really do appreciate that as well for everyone watching and listening at home. I appreciate that also, and I'll see you all next time. Bye.